folks may be in the break area. Uh, if we want to notify them, send an, send an emissary. Uh, uh, Paula, I think, is on the line. Is that right, Paula? I'm online. Can you okay. hear me? Yes, we can hear you. I can wait until we get back. Uh, okay. We're a minute late now. Okay. You're um, the timer. Uh, let's, uh, let's see. We have about half the folks present. Uh, you tell me when to start. Yeah, maybe you want me yeah. to. All right. Right here. We're, we're going to try to round up everyone here. Okay. And uh, so we're, we're getting uh, our tomatoes in hand just in case. <laughs> I hear you've got lots of props. <laughs> yes. Mostly in financial transactions. And yeah, that but you know, there's uh, actually the, the the big buzz right now is in the non-financials, uh, connected with business value, intangibles, human capital, oh, okay. governance, and independence. Anyway, love to talk. You're based here, right? Uh, in McLean, in, in Virginia. McLean. So local to this. Yeah, area. so am I. So. Oh, yeah, okay. I'd love, nice I'd love to, to meet you. Sure, sure. Well, maybe we'll exchange cards at the, uh, yeah. at the yeah, lunch or something. Okay, it's 1018. Uh, Paula, I'm, uh, we're going to get started. Uh, you'll have 10 minutes to about uh, 1028. It's a okay. fine. Uh, we're, we're talking about granularity. Yeah, Good so if you want to get started, Paula. Okay, okay. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, very clearly. Okay, I want bring to say hello to everybody first. Nice uh, meeting you, even remotely. I would like to be in the States, but it's very far, so I'm excited and a little bit emotional about talking to you live. Um, it's a very short presentation today, and uh, it's about one of the perspectives that I've come across um, in this ontology, uh, big, big ontology domain. Um, there are many aspects um, that are impacting our work uh, and my research interest, but one of them is definitely this um, applied development uh, issue. Um, what I've noticed, and is something that I'm really interested in, in getting your feedback on, is that when um, we're working on uh, developing an ontology or applying an ontology, we are looking at um, two aspects of the same process. Um, or when we are thinking of using an ontology which has been already developed, we see um, something that maybe uh, could or should have been uh, slightly different. There is some feedback which doesn't go into the loop of uh, creating the ontology. So after a lot of thinking, um, 
I've decided that one part of the problem is uh, combining the different engineering approaches. I'm saying that this is, I really need the feedback from the community because it's a very complex, uh, it's, a very, it's a very simple presentation and a very simple issue on the one hand, but it's also complex because it requires bringing together a lot of um, activities which have been carried out separately until now. What has been um, bothering me to some extent is that we are building information systems which are knowledge-based systems or increasingly becoming knowledge-based systems. And if somebody disagrees with that, I'd like to hear that. Um, and still, we are not integrating uh, the different methodologies. Just I'm assuming that most of you know what I'm talking about, but a quick rundown. Uh, I'm on, I am on uh, slide one. Um, ontology is becoming central to intelligent systems development, and I'm sure there is no doubt about that. Um, Ontology engineering methodologies and software engineering methodologies activities are carried out separate. This is what I found out. So we are still thinking, oh, we have to build a system, and we first have to build the ontology. And, and by contrast, we, we say we have to build the ontology, and then we build the system. Uh, somehow, and also, I'm glad that I'm building on the perspective that others are giving, uh, including Peter Yim, who says, well, you know, there are there is a DAO of things, um, maybe we should look at an integrated approach. Um, on slide three, I summarize some of the um, methodologies that I've looked at. To some extent, I would say not in detail, um, because I've decided to just summarize my first analysis. I'd like to do so in more detail later. But for my first analysis, and I have sent a link to a paper where I, um, for those of you who, who are interested, the paper is, uh, has been uh, circulated to the list. Um, and if someone is interested, can reach me later and I can uh, show it to you. In this paper, there are some pictures, um, some diagrams representing some of the methodologies, the steps in each methodology. And by looking at uh, some of the main ones, I have noticed that there is some, um, how do you say, they're not necessarily uh, synchronized in a, or optimized, I would say. I'm not the only one who sees a problem with ontology methodologies. It's a known open issue. There are some papers which I list in the references uh, which uh, clearly point the finger to some problems after a careful uh, uh, study. Uh, but I think more or less all of us come to face the, the question that ontologies are abstract, maybe there is a lot of effort in developing an ontology and then people cannot easily use them, uh, there is a lot of study preparation work, it's not immediate. And by contrast, we have uh, a reality where people are developing applications fairly, how would you say, fairly casually. People are get together, they develop an application, they roll it out, and it works. Uh, and, and, and one particular gap which I've noticed is that a lot, um, in particular, you may have seen the paper on the, um, what was it, the, the Sahana example of the open source emergency response. That gave me an opportunity to observe uh, an open source development reality, a rap rapid development, 
when people put together an application and they not only they don't have an ontology to reference, but also they are finding it difficult to understand what ontologies are and, and why should they know. And that's one of the tasks that obviously I'm taking on. So amongst the various issues which are pointed out in research, I have come across some uh, examples in person. I'm sure all of you in different uh, circumstances will have found that these uh, methodologies need to be made uh, a bit more agile, perhaps. Um, in my engineering studies, I have studied knowledge acquisition um, and knowledge analysis. Uh, in particular, I'm familiar with CAD's methodology, knowledge analysis and design. Um, a supporter of uh, requirements analysis and specification and usability engineering. I know Tom Gruber referred to usability thing as a bit of a eccentric, but it's there. We are here, the users. And actually, I'm glad that somebody at the beginning, maybe Mike, mentioned it. We are not here just to build ontologies. We are here to, to because we use them and we have trouble sometimes. So uh, the suggestion, uh, which is fairly superficial at this stage, but I think it links in in a lot of other things which are being discussed, is the um, uh, that other uh, activities from other practices. I'm now on slide four, sorry, five. Uh, other engineering practices, requirements engineering, knowledge engineering, user standard engineering, uh, or usability engineering are now developing and becoming more specified. And uh, I would like to see uh, activities from these practices integrated in uh, uh, ontology engineering and vice versa. I would like to see ontology engineering as an activity of other software engineering methods because it would not make sense to, to keep this separate at this stage. It makes it very difficult and obviously it makes the methodology incomplete in one aspect or the other. The task is very, very huge and it's not easy and this is just a beginning of looking at things in this way. Um, and um, of course I'd like to stress that we need to uh, be aware of these open source and uh, distributed collaborative environments when designing our methods. It's one thing is to work with the team of uh, trained people with specific skills in a room, very close-knit, can talk and see face-to-face. -face. Another thing is to work with people all over the world, speak different languages, have different ideas. The you know, communication is not always straightforward, so we need to take that into account. Uh, I don't know how much, how I'm doing for minutes, but this is more or less... There's actually two minutes. I have to say. Eh? Uh, you have two minutes uh, if you want to... Okay. I'd like to leave the two minutes for questions and comments, if any. Okay. Any questions? I want to hear comments? people who disagree with this approach or who are surprised or puzzled or have questions, whether this may, may or may not be useful. Uh, do we have any questions, comments? Okay. Uh, this is Paul yeah. Cook uh, from the uh, U.S. Uh, Environmental Protection Agency. I'm connected with a group called the Council for Regulatory Environmental Modeling, and I'm looking at a variety of uh, environmental models that are of interest to the agency. And I would uh, just like to concur with uh, the notion here that there is a, uh, a need for uh, what uh, Paul is calling uh, integrating ontology development with, with software development insofar as the class of models that I'm interested in is, is concerned. That is, 
what I see is a is a uh, code development process, and then uh, after the fact, I see documentation uh, being being developed to explain what the code uh, uh, is intended to do. And the the notion that we can start representing the or build a representation of the concepts within the code as it's being developed uh, would be helpful so that in the end, uh, for example, it is, it is a rather straightforward process to uh, identify uh, the uh, variables within the model and uh, how they are related to one another, at least in terms of cause and effect. Okay, thank you. I just wanted to say I think this is a, a nice example of some of the work that can go into an elaboration of the one pragmatic dimension uh, from the framework document in terms of the design methodology. Um, the notes there just simply had top-down, bottom-up, very coarse uh, characterization, but these notes here you know, show there's a lot more richness in terms of different properties, different kinds of methodologies that are, are used in ways of distinguishing ontologies that way. Yeah, I'm glad that's coming across. It's um, the idea that there are a lot of facets. And each uh, engineering methodology specializes in modeling one or, or addressing some issues or some requirements. Uh, and um, I have the feeling that given the complexity of uh, the reality and, and the systems that we are aiming for uh, or the environment, the complexity of the environments that the systems have to live in, physical and, and uh, virtual, then we need to put all these um, things that we are learning or we have learned in the last 10, 20, 30 years together. But to develop one big methodology could, could not be easy because then you may, you may end up with this monster. But we have to re remember that it's got to be agile, modular. Uh, I, I sometimes mention ad hocism, which is like use things as you need them. And not, if you don't need them, just leave them behind. It's not going to be easy, uh, but I think this is uh, what we are we are we should be working on. Uh, I'm glad you agree. Thank you so much for listening. Yes, thank you, Paula. I will keep on listening on Skype. Uh, we're roughly back on schedule. Um, our next speaker is uh, Denise Bedford. Denise, about ten till ten forty. I think I have more slides here than we can go through in 10 minutes, but I will keep strictly to the timeline. And I just wanted to mention that, let's see, everybody still has their tomatoes, right? <laughs> because I think some of you may want to toss them my way before the end of this. Let me just also begin by apologizing that I'm going to give a half-baked presentation today because um, the idea that I was going to be part of this group just came up late Thursday afternoon, and I'm in the process of moving and teaching four classes, and then I have my day job at the bank. So I uh, didn't have too much time to put into this. Okay. What I'd like to do today is to talk about a, a over, an overall ontology assessment framework and methodology. Okay. Next slide, please. You can see how poorly prepared this is. I don't even have my name in the presentation. Which one of these is an ontology? Okay. And if you were to go through this list and tell me yes or no, my question would be why or why not? I want to know your evaluative criteria, okay? Because it's not good enough for somebody to say, my personal opinion is that doesn't get us into the, uh, that doesn't take us to a professional stature, right? 
It's not a professional domain. Okay, so next slide, please. Okay, my recommendation is that we need to distinguish between an ontology and an application that uses an ontology. This is where we get into a lot of problems, okay? I think we need to, to suspend our heavy reliance on different domain terminologies that describe applications that use ontologies and adopt a neutral mental model. In other words, you call it a thesaurus, I call it a taxonomy. That's irrelevant. That's sidetracking us from the real work that we have to do related to ontologies, okay? So we need to minimize our references to dictionaries, cinnamon rings, taxonomies, etc., and we need to stop talking to other people about this. This is my personal opinion, okay? So rather, I think we need to um, start comparing these different applications and standards to a neutral framework, which will facilitate more intelligent conversations and will also help us to better communicate to others outside of our field. So I think the framework has to reflect a multidimensionality of ontologies, though. Um, the single linear representation, as you've already heard from me today, um, I don't think works. And in fact, it causes us some problems. So next slide, please. Okay. So let's see if we can agree on what I think the goals of the framework are. Um, we need to have an explicit agreement on this, and I would hope that that would be one of the outcomes of this summit. So do we all agree that the goal is to develop a neutral, well-defined, quantifiable, multidimensional framework against which anything that anybody wants to call an ontology could be evaluated or assessed? Okay. I don't expect an answer now, maybe by tomorrow. Um, anybody who has anything that they're calling an ontology should be able to use the framework that we provide to judge whether it is or is not an ontology. In other words, is there a minimum threshold for what we call an ontology? Okay, now let's not talk about formal or informal yet. Let's just get a minimal threshold, okay? Which essential components um, it's missing? This should be something that helps somebody to say, well, if I want to improve my ontology, this is what I need to provide, okay? Um, where it ranks on a scale of essentially formal to informal, and why have a quantifiable framework that allows them to understand and what they can do to improve or enhance it. I think it could also um, help us, um, I think I've already said basically minimum standards and thresholds for formal and informal. Next slide, please. Oops, this is a little bit too small for me to read. Okay, so if we agree on that goal, then let's start by defining um, the basic dimensions of an ontology. And I think we already have six dimensions that have been proposed in our framework, okay? My challenge, though, is that um, we have to consider whether the, if we want to move to a formal assessment methodology, okay, and I'm a real practical person, I have to see how this is going to play out. How can I use it to assess the 20 or 25 different ontologies that I work with every day at the World Bank, okay? So are there, um, are these definitions theoretical or can we translate them into a practical measure, okay? Um, let's see. Um, I pre-tested the framework with people who also are responsible for doing ontologies at the World Bank and they looked at them and said, I don't understand what that means. There's no way I could apply that or judge what I've got. Tell me, give me some examples, interpret this for me, give me a quantifiable 
you know, um, scale on which I can judge. Okay. So I think we need to come up with that. And I'm sorry, my, my age and my failing eyes. Okay. Next slide, please. Okay. So I would suggest that there are two things that we need to do with a framework. Okay. And these may seem contradictory, but I think we need to, one, simplify it, meaning bring it up a level. And I would suggest that some basic components of an ontology would be whether we call them entities, representational units or concepts, I really don't care, but what it is that we're trying to, sh to represent, okay? And again, there should be a spectrum of things that can be represented. It's not this or this. We're not excluding anybody, but our job would be to come up with that spectrum, right? I think we need to talk about relationships, okay? I think we need to talk about the context in which the ontology is used, could be used, you know, where it came from, et cetera. And I think the other thing that's been talked about but hasn't been distinguished is governance. How much control and management is can you assume, you know, from this particular ontology? Okay. So let's next slide, please. I'm going to probably jump ahead a little bit. So these are the four I suggest. Now, within each of this, these, as Paula was just suggesting, there are facets, okay? There are many measures that make up, whether you call it entities or concepts, relationships, context, and governance, and we need to figure out what those different facets are. My suggestion is that we can come up with an index for each of these different dimensions, which takes all of the, the very rich description that's in the six dimensions now in the framework and actually try to quantify them, okay? Next slide, please. In fact, I may jump ahead. Okay, let's jump ahead a few until we get to factor analysis. What I'm suggesting also, and I'm not sure if this is going to work. As I said, this is a half-baked idea, okay? Um, at the World Bank, we use something called factor analysis to characterize knowledge economies. And we look at the different dimensions that make up a knowledge economy. In this case, we might have ICT access, um, literacy, innovation, et cetera. Each of those is a very complex um, variable, okay? It, one variable to represent the dimension, but the variable is derived from a number of very rich facets, okay? Next slide, please. Okay, so we would, oh, let's jump ahead. I'm sorry, this is very disorganized. Okay, so essentially our job would be define the essential dimensions of the ontology, and we have to make sure that they are what I would call orthogonal. So we need to get some people from the statistics world in here because this is going to be really important. Yes, one minute. Okay, I, I'm going to finish here. We can define, we need to define those factors which characterize each dimension that we define for the ontology. We need to quantify the factors, analyze the factors for any given application using, it could be a, and I know there have been some questions about what do I mean by factor analysis, what type of factor analysis. I'm thinking as simple as possible because not only do we want to be able to run the analysis at the whole ontology view, but at each dimension. So if we were to say relationships is one dimension, then we want to have a factor index that we can represent as a factor analysis view just of relationships. 
And remember, the point of this is not to say, from my opinion, the point is not to say, I'm sorry, you're not an ontology, but mine is. It's to say, here's what kind of an ontology mine is, and here's what kind I think yours is. If I could ask you quickly to go to these slides. Okay, so this is what it might look like generically. Could we go to the next slide, please? No, sorry, too many slides. Next one, next one, next one. Okay, so this is what a folksonomy might look like represented on this, in this ontology um, framework, okay? Relationships, well, there are, there are some, but they're pretty, pretty rudimentary, right? Concepts or entities, excuse me, entities, well, there's a particular type, but they're fairly simple as well. Context, context is fairly specific and unique. Okay. If you try to take a folksonomy out of one context, it probably won't translate to another. And in terms of governance, we want that to be really low. It doesn't say it's not an ontology. It's just this kind of an ontology. Next slide, please. If we look at a medical disease classification scheme, that's a, an ontology too. But it has fairly rigorous relationships, a specific kind of concepts or entities, its context is very well defined and very well known, and it's probably transferable and universal, okay? And its governance is very, very rigorous, okay? So I'm going to probably stop there. I've got a couple of other slides that just give you a flavor of how, what factors, and I went through um, Leo's framework to try to extract out factors to put in these four dimensions. I'm not suggesting that these four dimensions are right, I'm just using them to illustrate how I think we could get to a methodology that would include everybody, inform everybody, and be sort of productive. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Denise. Um, our next speaker is uh, Ken Baklowski. Um, till till 10:52. Okay. Uh, my my report is just a report on the survey response analysis. Uh, the hopefully most of the people here actually participated in that survey, so I'm basically just summarizing and reporting on what the members of the forum have uh, reported via the uh, survey. So if we move to slide two. The uh, what I'm going to report on right now are uh, something about the communities that are uh, <clears throat> indicated and the questions that were answered. Uh, this afternoon, I'll look at some of the other parts of the survey. Uh, this was question three, A, B, C, and D. Um, the issues were for your community, your constituency, what value does uh, ontology or ontological engineering bring? Um, what and the part B was what issues are being encountered in bringing uh, ontology or ontology engineering into your community? Uh, then what specific problems um, do you see uh, that need help? And finally, the last question was, uh, can you suggest solutions to the issues mentioned above? And um, <clears throat> the um, what I found actually was that 
there was a lot of overlap among these. So sometimes uh, something was listed as an issue and maybe should have been listed as a problem. So um, I don't want to dwell too much on that, but I will give the survey results, you know, by question. Now, moving to slide three, um, I found that there was a, a fairly large number of communities that were represented. Uh, all of the communities that were listed in the survey had at least six members. And the uh, uh, in addition, there were quite a number of other communities, a couple of dozen additional communities are listed as other. So this gives you an idea of the wealth of uh, diversity that we have in this, uh, represented in this survey. Uh, business communities, biomedical, uh, lots of formal communities such as concept maps and the um, somatic web. Uh, Sub-communities like genomics, moving to slide four. Uh, also linguistic communities, um, this, this RI community, uh, and Web 2.0. Web 2.0 was really very well represented in the, uh, in the survey. And uh, in many ways, uh, I found that there were different points of view taken by the different communities. So um, it's definitely something to take into consideration as we move forward with this uh, um, framework to be sensitive to the fact that there are many communities and they each have to be, their, their issues and problems have to be addressed. Now, moving to slide five, the values question, that's question 3A. Um, the, the issue was what value do you see this, um, the ontology bringing to your community? And interoperability came out uh, at the top. Um, and then uh, followed closely behind by integration, and those two, of course, are very closely related. So interoperability and integration are are definitely considered key values. They're they're the main purposes that people uh, see as being the um, the value that this brings to their community. Uh, logical reasoning was also fairly high, um, and. Uh, machine interpretable and representable. Um, so, but those are, also list, those are also listed as one of the main reasons why, uh, you know, main definitions of ontology that we're, we're using. Please, please. Just, just a quick clarification, don't jump in there. Is, was this, because I didn't, I didn't actually take part in the questionnaire, is that on the basis of a predefined drop-down list or is that people's own terminologies in those replies? Oh, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, there were no drop-down lists in the answers to these questions. What, what I was doing was taking the um, questions and dividing them up into, dividing up the answers into each of the uh, various uh, topics that I'm listing here. So, um, no, no, these were not taken from any list. Uh, uh, if you want to uh, see the original answers, uh, they are available uh, in, uh, on the um, Ontolog for on the the website and the wiki, and uh, they're also divided up uh, according to the community, so you can see the answers uh, within the context of the community in which they were given. So this is just giving you a brief summary of this. The more elaborate uh, uh, presentation of the results is uh, is on the wiki. So I encourage everyone to look at that uh, because it, it it really will tell you more than just this summary will tell you. The um, 
So we can see definitely the um, the major values that people have uh, perceived in this, but there are many others as well that uh, that come into this list. So if you look at that list uh, on the slide, uh, you see some interesting ones that one might not at first think of as being important, such as reduction of cost and risk. Um, that is not one that I would have thought of, um, and yet it, it came up five times. Um, and uh, others like sense-making, that's another one that, again, uh, it's not one that I would have thought of. Well, it's only only came up twice. Uh, this slide has all the ones that were mentioned at least twice. If you move on to slide six, you'll see uh, others that occurred just once. Um, again, there's quite a diversity of values that people see um, that are uh, that we should you know, at least think about, try to address in, uh, in developing this framework. Uh, moving to slide seven, uh, issues. Now here we start really getting into uh, the problems and issues that uh, are, are going to be very important for us. Uh, education ended up being very high. Uh, it really dominated here and in other, uh, the other questions. Uh, we're not apparently doing a really good job of getting our message across. Um, to a large extent, that may be that we're just couching our, um, our we're using our terminology. We're, we're, we're expressing everything using this, this logical, uh, sophisticated terminology, which is just not getting through. People are not understanding what we're getting at. Um, so education is a big issue. Uh, demystifying and simplifying ontologies and ontological terminology was brought up again and again. Um, we really have to work at that if we if we're going to be inclusive and, and to uh, reach our audience. Um, demonstrate utility was also very important. Um, that was the number two, and uh, I'm not sure how we can address that here, um, but at least we can have a framework where hopefully this can be addressed. And uh, number three was developing. You know, third most important was development methods, which I believe we would, we just had a talk on. So. That that's I believe is something that we're starting to address. Um, lack of common understanding was also an issue. Um, let's see. So let me move on to slide eight. These are other issues that were mentioned once. Uh, again, it's helpful if you look over these uh, in uh, as uh, as we develop our framework. Uh, slide number nine looks at the problems, and you'll notice here education, uh, getting our ideas across, is again right up at the very top, followed by uh, development methods, and uh, and then lack of common understanding. So it, what we're doing here today is is certainly going to be very important in uh, in addressing the problems and issues that the, the individuals in this survey uh, expressed as being the most important uh, uh, problems to be addressed in their individual communities. Um, moving to number 10, slide 10, you, you see there's still other issues that are that were uh, mentioned. Uh, just these were each mentioned just once. Finally, slide 11. Uh, what are the solutions? Um, the um, the number one, the the most important in terms of the number of responses here were 
the issue of having methods for developing, verifying, and validating ontologies. I kind of glommed together a number of different uh, ways of expressing this. Um, there definitely needs to be um, some more guidance to, uh, to individuals about how ontologies are to be created. Um, uh, there, there are methodologies out there right now. Um, I, you know, the, there's quite a list, in fact. Um, it, I suppose what we really need to do is just is, uh, get our message across a little bit better uh, about these methods, make them more, more uh, accessible and available to people. Um, I know, you know, the methods are there. Um, there's no question that they're available. We should just, you know, uh, make them more accessible. Um, and then uh, continuing down the list, uh, the, the number of solutions actually wasn't all that large relative to the number of problems. Uh, you'll notice. <laughs> and uh, and there was, uh, you know, whereas in the case of issues and problems, you get a lot of commonality, you know, 15 or, you know, so responses all said education. Um, Whereas, you know, the number of solutions, you, you see only a, f only a few that went above two people who suggested uh, these solutions. But um, uh, definitely there are, there are solutions out there also. So, uh, you know, that's another uh, aspect of this that we should consider uh, trying to be more inclusive. Finally, slide 12. Uh, other solutions that are listed um, each only once. Uh, let's see. Are there any other slides? Slide yeah, that's all. Okay, so that's that's all I have to report right now. I'll be reporting more about the survey uh, this afternoon. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Ken. Okay, now the, the fun begins. <laughs> so uh, pick up your tomato, and if you don't have any, <laughs> no. No. Uh, so I'm not I'm not going to summarize uh, the, the various items that the speakers have uh, talked about. Uh, I think their their uh, talks were in fact their best summaries. Um, I, I do want to uh, open this up to discussion, but uh, I, I heard a couple of different things that, um, and I'm I'm not necessarily uh, trying to highlight these as more important, but uh, I don't, I'm not sure if I've heard them before. Uh, and so I just want to uh, emphasize that to me, something like this was new. Um, what we haven't talked about really here, except obliquely in, in, in so far as we have a methodology, uh, was uh, the, the notion of governance that uh, Denise raised. You may say that it, uh, uh, it falls under methodology, and, and it probably does in some extended sense. But and whether we can quantify that, whether that's a separate dimension, is again, uh, you know, obviously arguable. But I haven't heard that, even though we understand that, uh, in some sense, we all need to worry about configuration, management, uh, versioning, uh, etc., for any product that we have. Uh, it's a software engineering product. Um, and uh, just uh, in our in our discussions, uh, uh, dimensions and distinctions uh, discussions, uh, we we tried uh, kind of subjectively to make these orthogonal, but 
recognizing that, in fact, they are not really orthogonal. Um, I, I think uh, it's useful to uh, try to achieve some or, orthogonality, but and so I'm, I'm not sure that we have. And when you look at the dimensions and distinctions that we've offered up to this point, uh, they kind of uh, at some point maybe bleed together. I mean, for example, uh, degree of structure, uh, you might say that that's, there's some connection between that and the language you use to uh, express the content. In other words, if you only have one kind or two kind of things, uh, let's say, you know, propositional logic where you only have propositions and th things that put those propositions together, you 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 know the, the structure is going to be pretty minimal that you, that your content can achieve. So there is some connection. Now uh, again, English natural language you have it's informal. Uh, what is the characterization of that structure? Right. It's uh, if if our language is uh, enabled us to have express infinite number of sentences. We can gauge that complexity and, you know, the, the structure that must be inherent in that. Uh, but as opposed to, you know, a logic, well, then, then it gets a little bit more, you know, uh, arguable. Um, we, we had uh, uh, other folks that, uh, uh, for example, Paula, that uh, tried to elaborate more uh, along the lines of the design methodology and, and, and uh, Mike Gruninger pointed it out that right now um, we have maybe a, kind of a polarity there, but really there's a, a truly a spectrum. And in fact, one thing I just want to emphasize here without taking up any other time is that we wanted a scale originally, at least some of us, for any of these dimensions. But the more we discussed this, the more we thought that it's uh, it's difficult. You know, you don't. It's not, it's not a Boolean, it's not, uh, you know, zero and one, and maybe, maybe it's not even a linear scale, so it's not one, two, three, four, five. Uh, and uh, we, we kind of gave up that. I mean, I, I think it's a topic here as to whether we want to address that. The, the potential range of values, even when we decide uh, what uh, these dimensional aspects are, is a point of discussion. So, uh, anyways, I just uh, I want to open everything up uh, that we've talked about uh, up to this point to general discussion. Leo, Todd Schneider, Raytheon. Two questions, um, and you'll have to excuse my ignorance. I didn't do my homework properly here. But from what I read last night about the framework and the dimensions listed and what I heard today, two aspects I did not hear addressed completely in any of the dimensions, and if they are, please tell me. Where does natural language issues come in, terminological issues? And the other had to do with philosophical assumptions. And if you like, you could put it in the context of upper ontologies. Uh, is there a dimension to delineate the philosophical assumptions you're making and how you're going to construct your ontology? Could you announce yourself also? I do, Peter. Todd Schneider, Raytheon. Uh, yeah, uh, again, um, I don't know if you can display our uh, initial briefing, Mike Gruninger's and mine. Uh, th there are some issues. Uh, so, so, uh, yeah, just uh, 
wait till there it's displayed again uh, and page down uh, more yeah yeah uh, continue continue okay continue uh, yeah so so degree of formality and structure uh, we will talk about but uh, even within this one so in terms of formality right so that where the bullet says that more formal taxonomy can be term or concept based again we're trying to uh, uh, eke out if you will term concept you know uh, something maybe real world referent it's incomplete here but uh, you can imagine that term-based is focusing more on the natural language side, if you will. Uh, if you want to forward again, I'm just trying to, uh, you know, I think those are important points, and I just want to point out that there's probably aspects of this, of your of your comments through here. Uh, uh, so, so uh, for example, uh, the first bullet dimension partially dependent on the first. If it's expressed in English, uh, you know, again, that's another issue. And whether, uh, you know, English can be loose and it can be precise. Um, and uh, the, the next one, if you want to page down, uh, representational granularity, again, uh, underscores that, uh, you know, this could be in English or uh, in a formal language, but now we're focusing on essentially the, uh, the, the, the average depth or average breadth and depth of the description and maybe notions of uh, uh, some pr uh, pr precision coming into play here. Uh, and then the next one, uh, intended use application, well, not so much. I would uh, go to the next one, uh, pragmatic d dimension, and an another slide forward, uh, another slide forward. Uh, more of the descriptive versus prescriptive. Uh, again, I think your philosophical predisposition comes into play here, uh, and, and it may not fit uh, exactly well, so the range we know of between you know, uh, realist, strong realist position uh, that Werner tried to uh, uh, present uh, earlier versus something that's uh, not quite so strong, more of a, you know, conceptualist. Uh, and there's other uh, areas in this realm. So we have some of what you mentioned, but we don't have a lot, and, and it's probably uh, spread across a couple of the dimensions. Uh, Todd Schneider again. One reason I asked that, <coughs> excuse me. One reason I asked that question because if we want to come up with an engineering methodology, it would be very helpful in terms of selling it to people who have money to distinguish what we are doing and how it makes uh, or how it could be compared to what other people are doing. Getting back to the, the comparison capability or lack thereof. Uh, yeah, I think you were next. Could I just take a quick? Um, stab at responding to that. Um, I think those are two are really good points, and um, I've noted them to try to work them into the framework. I think your um, whether something is natural language or not pertains to what I would call the entities, because if it's a word, basically you're looking at a word, phrase, sentence, etc., and all the morphological rules of the language in which it is expressed. Okay, which to me relates to the entities, and that's just a facet of that. 
but your philosophical assumptions to me fits into the context because then we have a sense of where it's coming from. So thank you for the question. Okay, right here and then Tom. Yeah, Peter Brown. Um, in no particular order. Um, okay, thanks. Just a, a few sort of random concerns and questions about all the presentations so far this morning. Um, one of them relates both to, to Michael's opening remarks, which I think Denise possibly answered partly with the model she's proposing, is I'm worried about sort of danger of prefiguring intended scope of any ontology because you may think you've got an ontology which is useful for your domain, but you find suddenly it's being used by other people for a different purpose and for a different scope, and you can never prefigure that. And I think that's something we need to, we need to address. Um, in that context, one one sort of catchphrase, sort of elevated pitch we've been using a lot in Europe recently is we must talk more about, or less about interoperability, interoperability of standards and more about standards of interoperability. By, what, by which we mean it's not just enough to have standards and have definitions, you've got to have some sort of bridging and mapping mechanism between them. And I think the attempts to build a framework which identifies different axes, whether it's the seven in the original statement or the four that Denise proposes, find some way that you can make some sort of assessment or judgment about different ontologies and from that make some certain conclusions about the possible use, even if it's beyond the intended scope of use. Um, I think Werner's point about ontologies being based exclusively on universals rather than particulars, I, I would say that's probably for me an important distinction between um, ontologies and taxonomies, and I think that's for me a simple layperson's takeaway which, uh, which will help me sort of re-engineer some of our efforts on that. But um, We've talked about ontology being a word, but I mean all words are a bridge to understanding in that sense. We should, I would argue very much for a, a very informal lay definition of the word ontology we're using in our, uh, our work here. Um, and as, as an example of that, if I can quickly find it, um, there was in the original statement we talked about um, ontology being, now you want to help me, sorry here, um, no I can't, I can't remember, there was something about saying ontology is a, what is it, the uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I would just dump those six words because it's the phrase following it which is important, which actually explains by which we mean da 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 I mean, someone like me is probably unlikely to read onto that second, second phrase if, if, if you're already stumped with, um, uh, with this first phrase. So I think that's about, yeah, that's my input for now. Okay, Tom? Yeah, I, I think it's been really great that several people have pointed out that uh, to one way of succeeding in this community is to establish uh, an engineering discipline around this. And, um, you know, I, I, I come from a computer science background as well as philosophy, it turns out. But more, I consider the engineering problems way more interesting and hard because we have to um, change the behavior of millions of people with this. Um, and so how does, how does that work? Well, I mean, a long time ago we proposed uh, the beginnings of a me methodology for this, but the very core fundamental pieces of an engineering discipline is you start from uh, the, the point of view, the approach that says you have requirements. You, in this case, it could be use cases, intended use, functional requirements, but you have some kind of requirements. You have some kind of decision-making process, and you have some kind of evaluation process against requirements. 
Um, you can take formal evaluation or functional evaluation, operational evaluation. There's a lot of ways to evaluate, but you have to start from something like that. If you, if you buy that, because that's just basically what all of engineering does, including software engineering. Now, software engineering has struggled with that because we end up having a lot of folks that can, you know, do it all themselves and don't have to ever say why they're doing it. We have that bit, you know. And, uh, and also, a lot of times people build just bottom-up. So here's a part, here's a part, let's glue them together. Now, the other piece of engineering discipline has to do more like this standards part, the S in NIST, I guess, which is um, the point of software standards and so on is, is interoperability or, re or reuse. And there are properties of ontologies that can make them more or less reusable. Now, one property is the hard one, which is like how do you guess the intended use, okay? And that's where some folks who are trying to build like these upper ontologies are attempting to do something that has either no use or all uses, depending on how you look at it. In other words, it's not deliberately trying to constrain itself by use. On the other hand, if you imagine, uh, not, not as opposed to that, but an you know, augment, augmentation to that, lots and lots of ontologies that were designed for a use, but were designed with the methodology that leads to generality, right? And the, and the aesthetics for a software that's designed that way is well understood in software engineering. It's minimality, okay, and consistency. So you reduce the interfaces as much as you can, and you make sure that they're all consistent with each other and well documented. So we, ha we can have those properties for engineering of ontologies. And I think that maybe way, one of the take-homes we might be able to offer the world is this is an engineering discipline, and that things we're creating are engineered artifacts that have much of the same function, that are reusable. Like, they're not, they're not equal to software, but they have a very strong analogy with software. That's my piece. We, we have uh, Paula on the phone that has a comment. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Um, thanks. I have two questions. Sorry, there is some echo in my hand. Can you hear echo? Yes, yes, we hear an echo. Oh, sorry. Let me just uh, switch off the... Microphone on Skype. And, um, and speak up too, Paul. Question, question for Werner. Um, first, you seem to define on slide two um, a kind of black and white approach. You seem to say either particular or universals, either occurrence or continuance, dependent or independent. And my question is, do you see anything in, in between? I, I, sorry, I wanted to say first that I really like the presentation. I, I like the idea that you're introducing the uh, perspective issue of reality, capturing reality as opposed to a subjective view of reality, which is the, the Kirikos one. But my question is, um, do you really see the word as either or? And how do you deal with all the in-betweens, which is probably the world it's most made of? Is my question clear? Uh, yes. Can you hear me? I just unmuted the line. Yes. Okay, great. Um, well, the three categories that I present uh, for PC, there is a lot of echo. Yeah, I can hear the echo. 
Okay. Oh, that's better. Um, for the uh, three categories or the three distinctions that I presented, there is indeed nothing in between. Uh, and that has to do uh, what the things themselves are, what are particulars, what are universals, what is dependent, what is independent. Um, but when we design an ontology or when we look at the world, then we look at the entities in reality and we ascribe them to the different categories. So dependent uh, and independence uh, can be at the same time go with being particular or universal and in some cases for occurrences and continuance. So uh, all uh, occurrences, for instance, they are dependent. They depend on the continuance uh, that participate in them. Uh, for continuants themselves, yeah, there are continuants, uh, such as my shape, there are independent continuants, such as me. Um, and those three categories that I described are just the three upper uh, levels. So there are much more, uh, at the granular level, categories according to which you can uh, categorize particulars and universals. What you must understand, however, is that what I uh, presented there is the approach that uh, we are taking here in Buffalo. So, uh, of course, I would like to see that approach to be used by everybody who claims to develop ontologies, and I'm, I'm afraid uh, that's unattainable. Uh, this approach to ontology that I presented is not mainstream. Okay, so the mainstream thing in ontology is being concept-based. Right. Um, why are we sticking to that kind of approach? That is, um, we assess the quality of several concept-based uh, ontologies according to the principle of uh, realism. And by doing so, we have been able to uh, identify quite a lot of uh, inconsistencies. And to that effect, we are not alone. If you look at uh, Nicola Guarino's uh, ontoclean method, um, in which he was also be able to uh, identify mistakes in, uh, primarily in hierarchical structures, uh, that also took a philosophical realism approach. And that is the reason why I so strongly uh, believe in those things. Yeah, I, I'd like to... Um, it, Renner, let, let no. me uh, add to the question here because I have a specific issue. This is Pat okay. Cassidy. Uh, when I was working trying to integrate the BFO with um, Psych and Sumo, for example, uh, one of the issues that came up was uh, what you categorize as dependent and independent. And one of the dependents in the BFO is a role. And, of course, independence would be, say, people. Uh, and, and yet I want to categorize a student, and I find it convenient to have multiple inheritance, which is forbidden in the BFO, and, and have a student be both a role and a person. And this is convenient because I'd like to stick as close as possible to linguistic expressions. And when somebody says the student threw the ball, uh, I don't want to have to say the person who is in the role of the student threw the ball. Uh, I'd like the linguistic expression to be uh, meaningful even within the parameters of the ontology. Now, uh, as Pat uh, Hayes has mentioned, uh, you, you can have both of these things and you can have translations between them. Of course, uh, I can say that a student is a role and a person, and uh, if you want to translate into the BFO, I can dif differentiate these, those and make a separate expression saying, oh, uh, the person who is in the role of the student did this, that, or the other thing. So we can translate between these. But my point is that uh, when you're talking about methodologies, that when you, um, if you insist that one approach uh, be used 
and, um, and, and and not attempt to find translations between one approach and the other. That will be, we will unnecessarily um, uh, fail to take advantage of each other's work. Uh, I can answer that very specifically. Um, when you are putting what you are proposing with the, uh, the student and the person also, uh, if you want to do it in the way that you express it, then you are confusing two different things. Uh, in our ontology, we would never put them together. We would recognize the different things, and although we would not use multiple inheritance at that level, uh, there is no problem for any particular to be annotated with uh, universals coming from different hierarchies. Okay, so the only thing that you need to do is to use the uh, appropriate relationship uh, for that. Um, the solution, as you indicated, is indeed uh, translation. So translations can help you to do that. Now, unfortunately, if, if you stick to your uh, approach, it will be possible for our ontologies, so which are built in spirit of realism, to translate them correctly into your type of ontology, but the other way around would not work. So that's a problem of your ontology. It's not a problem of, uh, of our ontology. Do you see what I mean? If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike... Uh, I just want to inter interject here. Uh, we don't want to necessarily be comparing the uh, specific ontologies and their issues. I, I think what we want to do is take a step back. We want to extract out, you know, again, are there some things that have been said that people have fairly strong disagreements? I know people have pretty strong disagreements because it's generated over 370 email messages in 72 hours. Um, but, you know, to, if we're here now in, in person and face-to-face, -face, and so if we can air those disagreements and resolve them and you know, extract something constructive out here and also to simply and then also to, to kind of recognize uh, again what these differences are so the, the comment about um, you know, the philosophical stance right that can, we can say well yes you know every ontology may may take implicitly a philosophical stance recognize that as a dimension not requiring an ontology to have a particular philosophical stance right and then that's something we can we can extract there. I mean it's like anything in science too it takes a philosophical stance, but you don't have to subscribe to one or the other um, to be considered a scientific theory. Uh, so I, you know, if, if we can maybe try to corral the uh, discussion in that in that direction. Uh, Steve, you? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to also keep us grounded. I think that while I completely agree with what Tom had said about you know the desirability of an engineering discipline for ontologies, I think that's going to be far too ambitious, obviously, for us to tackle here. Uh, I mean, really, we're all about a very modest goal here of trying to come up with this framework. Once we have that, we can start talking about how could you use the framework to help define or lay a foundation for an engineering discipline. But I think if we keep ourselves focused on the modest goal, we can get there uh, in the next two days. Ken? Uh, yeah, I'd like to get back, actually, to, to some remarks that Tom made uh, the, in looking over the dimensions, um, there, are, there are two dimensions that really apply to any, any engineering artifact. And, um, and indeed, there will be other dimensions that also apply to any engineering artifact. I think it would be really helpful if we focused on those dimensions that are essentially unique or at least special to, uh, to uh, ontologies. Uh, because uh, we're not going to get very far if we're going to be uh, busy trying to reinvent uh, 
all of the terminology and dimensions associated with general artifacts. So I think I think there are actually uh, five. It comes down to just five dimensions. If we say these five plus as an artifact, we have intended use and we have um, uh, design methodology and uh, governance and all these other uh, aspects that that are not unique to this particular uh, kind of artifact. So I think I think it'd be really helpful if we focus on just those. Uh, okay. Uh, Arturo Sanchez, University of North Florida. I completely agree with what uh, Ray just said and Michael, and trying to stick to that. Uh, from all the discussions that I've heard so far, I don't see any glaring example that cannot be expressed by the dimensions that uh, the framework is expressing. Uh, the things that I've seen so far are the philosophical stance, which could be arguably um, uh, subsumed by things such as intended use um, and the design methodology. Um, uh, the, there's an interesting concept also about governance that Ms. Bedford uh, brought up, and I would also argue that could be embedded in, in, the, uh, in the framework. Uh, so I guess that one exercise before uh, before um, trying to go forward is whether or not the ontologies that I know, the ontologies that I have developed, that I have used, can be uh, characterized in terms of the uh, proposed framework. If the answer is no, then say or propose what is the dimension that you see in your ontology that is not captured by the uh, the framework. I have a couple of uh, a couple of uh, points in this direction. One is syntax. I do understand that when you talk about semantics, the, the syntax kind of come with it because you have to use some language to express your semantics. But from a pragmatic perspective, the syntax that you use might end up affecting the whole um, impact of the ontology. And the second one is that uh, if you go to, uh, once you have, we are now in, in, in the business of defining the thing, right, the O thing, but there is a level above that, which is once you define what those things are, what do you do with them? So if you have an O1 thing and an O2 thing, how can you put the two of them together? That's another level that I don't know uh, if the uh, um, uh, framework uh, would capture, or if it was the intention to capture that. Uh, just to inter, uh, intervene here, uh, there's a couple other folks lined up, but uh, one issue that we haven't put out there yet, but maybe gets to your last point in particular, is uh, is this link, is your ontology or your artifact linked to an, an upper ontology, a foundational ontology, a middle ontology, a super domain, whatever you want to call it? Because uh, it, it may become important uh, when you when we down the road five years and we have these dimensions uh, uh, f fairly well explored whether whether that's the case or not. But how do you again you know the meta issue? How do you put these things together? We we know some of the coordinate space and we hope that'll help. But then there may be additional things. Uh, let's see. I'm not sure who is next here. Let's do the online there, Tom, and then Peter. Somebody online had a, a point on the phone? Paula, go ahead. Yep, I'm here. 
When is it my turn? Yes, we, we can hear you. Go ahead. Um, that was the second question to Werner, which uh, somehow I think made the point, uh, it was trying to, to lead towards the underlying assumption, which um, has been raised as one of the things that we should try to discuss, I hope, because there is a lot going on there. Uh, my, my second question to Werner was, and I'm taking Werner's example because I think it's a good one of uh, some discussions, important discussions which are going on. Werner's example of reality representation is important and relevant to a lot of what we are doing or we are trying to do in defining this, this framework, I think. This is why I, I'm, I'm talking about it. Um, Werner, um, at some stage, says that realism, I, I want to question the, the realistic view uh, and recall some of the discussion about the philosophical standpoint. Um, Werner, you, you seem to claim that reality is something that you can uh, objectively define. And I agree to some extent, but I also think there are some subjective dimensions of reality that you cannot forget when you're, when you're trying to say, I am depicting depicting reality and not a concept that represents reality, I understand you and I think it's okay. We have to be careful uh, because um, I give you the example of the Chinese medicine. If you look at the chart of, of a doctor, a medical doctor, a Western allopathic doctor, what they figure out in the body are muscles, bones, tendons, whatever, the heart. In if you look at the chart, the medical chart of, of a Chinese doctor or another type of doctor, which I don't know in what account you hold this type of medicine. Possibly some people say it's not scientific. But you're not going to go into that argument. They depict other things that we don't cannot see, like the lines, the meridians. Uh, and in some other types of medicine, like Ayurvedic medic medicine, they actually figure out other parts, like centers, some other energies, I don't know what, the doshas, whatever. So every system in, of medicine looks at different uh, representation of the re reality of the body. And, and that is a good example uh, for me to show that what you call reality, to some extent, is a subjective statement or a subje subjective choice according to what you believe in, according to your philosophical standpoint. So while I, I really uh, enjoy the fact that you're you're bringing this out in your presentation, I would say realism has got a long way to go uh, before it can say it's comprehensively depicting reality, because reality extends well beyond what each of us can can consider or can can consider real. Um, Charles, I think. Okay. Um. <clears throat> Okay, right. uh, what I explained in my presentations were the uh, principles of realism. I did not uh, go into describing specific systems. So if uh, Western medicine is described according to the realism principles and the Chinese medicine are done in the same way, then what you are describing is not a matter of subjectivity, but is a matter on what uh, way to be used to discover what is objective in reality. And of course, on the basis of differences in, in, in culture and, and whatever aspect, uh, we might see the things in a different way. What is not the case 
is that there would be two different realities. So it would be wrong to say there is one reality which is the one which we see in Europe and there is the one which Chinese doctors see. No, there is only one reality, but they describe it in a different way. And it is I'm not fine. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Bernard. I, I, I really think uh, this is an interesting discussion and I want to go on with this, but not maybe necessarily now here. I, I wanted to raise the point that realism, this, this view is an important one because the depicting reality is, is, is key to our ontology exercise, but is maybe not that straightforward, I don't think. But it's something that we can talk about. Okay, thank you. Charles has a comment. This is uh, Chuck Hernissa from Old Dominion University. Um, as an uh, introducer of at least two of the dimensions during the original uh, email conversation, I had a couple of uh, points to make, and the second one may come back to this conversation, this ongoing conversation we're having uh, about uh, reality. Um, the first, uh, descriptive versus prescriptive. Um, initially, when I introduced that, what I had in mind, uh, a descriptive ontology would be one describing systems that already exist. When a system is uh, uh, designed or built, of course, the designer has some sort of ontology in their mind, and it's implicitly there. Um, this may be the case. Uh, I work a lot with uh, modeling and simulation, uh, a traffic model where cars may only drive on the road. Of course, in the model, that's reality for the universe described by that model. If you're doing a prescriptive model uh, of traffic or for traffic models, of course, you would want to allow that cars could drive off of roads. Uh, so you could have emergency vehicles or in the state of Virginia where I'm from, people like to park on their lawn. Uh, so uh, descriptive and prescriptive may get to the heart of the difference between maybe a low-level or application ontology versus an upper-level or intentional versus extensional type definitions. Okay, so that's uh, point one. Uh, point two on the uh, granularity of representation. Uh, what I initially had in mind there, um, uh, some of the conversations that have gone on in the past couple of months uh, with Matthew West and some of the other people looking at a 4D representation of reality, 3D representation of reality. If we look at anything that has a, a process and the results of a process, whether it's physics, human behavior, uh, whatever, uh, we can look at it in a number of different ways. You can look at the, the prime movers, such as vehicles, or we can look at the physics behind it and so on. So your, your, your focus of your representation, granularity representation, becomes very important. Uh, and this comes back to the reality conversation we just had. Uh, can something be a continuant uh, and an occurrence at the same time? I think uh, modern physics proves yes. If we look at something, anything deep enough, any continuant, it actually becomes uh, a series of occurrence with some perceived persistence. So uh, th that granularity representation is important to get, and, and this may also tie to the philosophy behind your ontology. So. I think uh, we're Tom, we have Tom, then we have Peter, then we have Peter Brown, and then whoever else. Great. Thanks. Tom Gruber again. So uh, I, think I, am, I think we're doing a thinko here. Um, and it, because if you look at the first talk, Peter's saying, this is what we're trying to do, come up with a way of communicating to the world, what an ontology, uh, what kind of things are ontologies, and so on. And then this session is about frameworks and, and the dimension of the frameworks, I said dimensions. And, and then we're saying, well, let's, let's stick to the dimensions, but let's, let's make, make sure we talk about the interesting ones, okay? Actually, I, I think the problem is it's not like that getting a bunch of dimensions is going to tell us what it is. I mean, look at Denise's pictures. It's not the axes that tell you what it is. It's the shapes of the things in the axes and the units that are on the axes. So if we talk about what's an ontology to a colleague, the best way I do it is just say, here's some of the things you can do with one. 
That's intended use. So Pape and the exact units on that axis are really important. If you want to know, like, what is it, why is level of structure an interesting thing for ontologies and not for other things? Or how is it like other things? I mean, yes, it turns out you can do software morphology analysis and figure out how much of that's in there. But really, there's some very interesting reasons why things level, differ by structure in the ontology world. So let's talk about those ways that they structure. And th even things like the, the expressivity of the language. Now, in a computing world, everything's Turing complete, so it doesn't matter. They're all equally expressive, right? But there's some reason why databases have a limited expressibility and ontologies have more. There's a good reason. There's a bunch of good reasons, and that's a real defining characteristic for ontologies. And so that, I think, is where we can now turn it on its head and say, which are the values of dimensions can help us understand what the ontology beast is? And then putting, and then in the afternoon, when we place everybody on there, we'll get to see what are the shapes of the various ontology spaces. Okay. Uh, Peter? Yes. Uh, first of all, I, I think this is a great discussion. And uh, as mo a lot of you have already mentioned, um, the philosophical discussions will not get resolved here. Uh, we welcome it to continue on the Ontolog Forum. Uh, for the next 3,000 years, if we're around <laughs> long enough. But uh, actually, my next question is for Tom. Uh, is Do we actually already have enough to go by for the afternoon session so that we can actually pick random, not random, but a few artifacts, Fove or Dublin Core uh, or Sumo, and, and plot them in, and do we actually have the dimensions and the measures? I, I think we've, we've addressed dimensions fairly well, but, but did we have the measures? For example, in, in uh, Denise's slides, I mean, I, I sort of see Four, four lines, I mean, is that a scale of zero to, uh, one to four, or, I mean, do we rank things one to five, do we rank things yes or no? Uh, obviously, different dimensions ask for these things, so maybe we could spend a little bit of time addressing some of the major dimensions and put the meshes in there so that Tom could have maybe a, a more concrete uh, framework to go by. In fact, I would just do it the other way around. We, I think we probably yacked enough about the dimensions in an abstract sense. Why don't we just get on with some examples and place them? And then that'll tell us, like, what units of measure we need on each axis. What's, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Susan, I was going to say, just don't start with one. Start with two. And then just c compare more or less. And then you work out the units more discreetly down the road. And mm -hmm. as long as I've got the mic, if I, can I add something? <laughs> yes. Oh, can you, I, can I you can wait, wait a I second, Susan, <laughs> so we maintain strict order? No. <laughs> uh, uh, Peter Brown, and then Susan. It's going to be a gallant gentleman and pass the mic straight <laughs> okay. over to Susan. But, no, I mean, actually, Peter, you covered 95% of what I was going to say. And I think it, it's probably we're in the same sort of uh, wavelength here. I mean, my concern is we seem to have a consensus around the fact that there are dimensions. I think it's already a step forward. The question is now, do we accept, I think uh, Denise is the only one who's actually put that very explicitly in her slides that the dimensions must be orthogonal. And I think that's, that for me is a, a starting point in terms of methodology of how we go forward. And, and I think your idea of take two, check them out whether they're orthogonal. If they're orthogonal, start trying to find mm -hmm. uh, what sort of scale you're using, whether it's purely binary or some sort of sliding scale or, or whatever, and then move on to a third one. I, I think yeah, my point is just... Just that, methodolo methodological rather than content. Okay, Su Susan. 
Yeah, and the, actually the thought I had was triggered by um, uh, Ken's remarks. It was interesting that on um, the issues, education was so high, and you described it as we need to, you know, better um, uh, – communicate what we're about and, and the values, but then it was low on the solution side. And I got to thinking kind of where I sit when I think of the end, end game, end goal, I would love to see the contributions of your community um, to uh, support the interdisciplinary collaboration. So a metric would be the quality of the conversation among diverse disciplines that have been pulled together for some emergency. And somehow what you've done makes it possible for them to have, you know, less of this um, loaded terms and the, you know, sliding plate tectonics where they basically can understand each other's worlds because of the framing that the different approaches bring. And each of the disciplines, of course, if you were to look at how they see the world, um, you could, I think, map their, um, the, the, the strengths of their disciplines in the, you know, formality or informality. So I, I really see that, I mean, if, if next door to us was a room of diverse disciplines, name them, and they have a purpose and they really can't talk to each other and they're not having fun, if your contribution could be an approach that helps them see those ahas faster and, and work better together. Over here. Here, here and then here. This is Herb Bassett from Lockheed Martin. I think we're a long way from getting a set of valid dimensions. I think most of what we've been talking about today is still preaching to the choir. We're talking about it in terms of the technical community of ontologists. So I'd like to follow up on what Denise said, is that we really need to have two sets of dimensions. One set of dimensions that's inward-facing, that we're all talking about here, and another set of dimensions that's outward-facing, that the users or the buyers or the executives or the business community would see the value of what we're trying to do. So one of the ones that Denise mentioned, which I thought would be an outward-facing dimension uh, that would really be valid, is the governance. You know, how can someone outside this community know what they're buying or know the value of what they're buying if we don't have a governance dimension? So my, my suggestion would be that we have a set of technical dimensions that are inward-facing for us, a set of outward dimensions that are community focused for the broader the broader world okay over a question here on that, if i could um would you suggest that your uh, outward dimensions be an abstraction of the inward dimensions or would they be different no they'd be different i think it'd be a totally different set of concepts a totally different perspective of trying to deal with an executive versus trying to deal with a computer scientist so i think they'd really be fundamentally distinct dimensions Okay, over over here, then I'm going to interject Ken, and then Denise, and then Frank. Uh, I just want to offer the, the metaphor of using the word views, probably, and then each view has its own set of dimensions. Uh, I just wanted also to mention that once we are past deciding what these dimensions are, I just want to offer an example that, I, that you can find uh, from communications of the ACM, I'm sorry, uh, just Association for Computer Machinery, uh, when it comes to characterizing di different disciplines with, uh, within computing, they have come up with uh, this kind of key graphs, uh, similar to the ones uh, Ms. Bedford uh, showed. Um, I, I am, I'm very skeptical, though, when it comes to coming up with specific metrics other than you know, less and more. So this will just give us a, a visual representation of of a, a a a class of ontologies, and then based on those shapes, we can talk about it. But this is just another view of the whole spectrum. <laughs> 
take 10. Okay. Uh, when, I, when I talked about distinguishing between those, um, those dimensions that are common to all artifacts, I didn't suggest we don't consider them. In fact, they're very important, and those are, to a large extent, the outwardly facing ones, and we certainly want to uh, try to characterize ontologies from those points of view in addition to the others. Um, but um, the other thing I wanted to say was that as I was developing my slides for the uh, afternoon session, uh, based on the uh, survey responses, uh, I, I hit exactly this point. Uh, I had lists of ontologies or lists of concepts uh, or terms that are equivalent to ontology, and uh, I couldn't see what to fill in. I, yeah, I knew in most cases what those uh, ontologies were, but I didn't know what words to place into the, into the various slots. Uh, should I put low-high? Should I put no, yes? Um, what, what do I say? So it, it, it's one thing to know an ontology. It's another to know this framework. And I think we really need to work on having a fairly simple framework so that one can very quickly, you know, characterize, at least on a certain course granularity, each of the ontologies. And, I, and as I say, in the, in the afternoon session, I have a list of 70 uh, ontology artifacts that uh, are basically something for us to work on so that we can see if they will actually um, be amenable to this uh, to this framework. Denise. Just two, two quick points. Um, I really like the idea of the internal and the external. The only challenge I have with that is who's internal? Because does that mean it's a linguist? Does that mean it's an engineer? Does that mean it's a computer scientist? I think I think we have to, you know, who who are us? Who are we? And I think we are a diverse group amongst ourselves, so we are, we're going to have to work through that. The other thing is um, I think that, this, that the factor approach will work. If we can take a country and model its knowledge economy, which is a very, very complex issue, I think we can use it to model ontologies. The challenge we have is identifying the factors that make up each of those dimensions and that basically are – and nothing is ever perfect. You don't have a perfect solution. But if you can come up with a solution that at least allows you to communicate to the developer or a potential user, then you've achieved your goal. Frank. I think the issue of governance is, a, is an important one, and it's related to um, – the question of whether or not these ontologies include some provision for provenance. And so, um, as Bill McCarthy here would remind us, and folks from EPA, um, any ontology which is describing anything of, of legal significance, for example, um, you will generally find that, that the communities involved, be they the accounting profession or the uh, environmental uh legal community or the IRS or whatever um, are not about to entrust these things to computer scientists or linguists sitting around a room, um, that we have legislators, we have judges, we have lawyers. Uh, they have written tomes on what is the meaning of wetlands. Um, I know EPA at one point had seven different definitions for what a wetland was depending on the controlling legislation. And so this gets at the issue of context. Um, 
So I think that if we are going to build ontologies that are of practical significance for helping to write software about income taxes or other sorts of things like this, we're going to have to recognize that um, we don't have autonomous control over these definitions. Uh, we may be allowed to formalize them to derive from, from, from natural language definitions, but usually the controlling definitions are um, incorporated in some piece of legislation, some piece of federal regulation, uh, an accounting standard, uh, an engineering standard, or something like this. And, and I think it's important that we recognize these things as major sources for ontological knowledge. I think that we need to think systematically about of transferring them from natural language into some more formal representation. Um, and I think we need provenance mechanisms to record how we, how we did this and, and what the controlling authority is. Um, people in, in, um, in the library community have long had authority lists and things like this, particularly for proper nouns and, and things like this. Um, but I think the ontology community has typically not paid much attention to this because we've seen ourselves as autonomous uh, designers of these things. And I think that we would have a much easier time of selling these constructions to many of the uh, potential users or financers of this if we could explain that, oh, we took, you know, X piece of legislation or X accounting standard and we, we, we captured it in, in formal logic or something like this. And, and here are all the citations, and if you change this, we have a mechanism for telling you what you need to change in the ontology. Um, and uh, I think this would greatly improve the acceptability of these things across broad communities. Frank, I'd like to uh, follow up. I agree with you totally on provenance and its importance, and I think that will help with what Susan's desire is. I'm Dr. Catherine Goodyear. I'm with NCI. And several of you have worked with me on ontologies before in communities that we can't share in this environment because we're governed in this environment by a set of sharing rules. But to keep this from happening, Susan, we're going to have to have a methodology by which this sharing community can participate with the non-sharing community. And that provenance, that labeling that we use on our terms to define what's appropriate to share, what's appropriate not to share, has as much importance in the sharing community as it does in the secret world. So if we want to be able to really open these doors and keep this gap from happening, we're going to have to understand how we appropriately label that provenance on our on our vocabularies. Leo, can I respond? Uh, we have another person here, then you can go next after that. Uh, I won't take very long. My name is Mark Bolgiano. I work for a standards organization. I feel like I'm uh, crashing the ontologist party a little bit here. But, but I had to – actually, I, I'm, I'm being made to feel very welcome, which I appreciate. But I had to pipe up after what Frank had to say because um, – we're in XML. XBRL is a, an extension of XML. And um, right now we're engaged in a $6 million project for the chairman of the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission to represent GAAP, an accounting standard, in a taxonomy form. 
And um, for those of you, I'm sure most of you read this, but if you haven't, for those of you who haven't heard of the book by uh, Lawrence Lessig, a professor at Stanford, uh, at Stanford um, Code 2.0, and his discussion of West Coast Code versus East Coast Code. Code is law, and as code is what runs on our machines. I, I think you'll find a very relevant uh, discussion there that we're right in the midst of dealing with FASB, and the people who write the accounting standards canon that has nothing to do with technology, and XBRL that's going to be used for all the SEC 10K, 10Q filings, and where all the buzzwords are things like intangibles and governance and some very squishy concepts, and in fact concepts being our main vocabulary word, um, uh, just just to make it uh, interesting, but. Um, the, the thread that I hear running through here is about bringing ontologies down to the ground is exactly why I'm here. Um, I'd have to be honest. Uh, I don't know if this is recorded, but I think most of my members and most of the people in the XBRL um, community make absolutely no connection to ontologies. Taxonomies is what we're all about, but not to ontologies. And yet one of our big holy grails, you know, is, is not only interoperability, but comparability. Uh, it's Todd Schneider. I want to respond to the comments that were made uh, by Frank, I believe, talking about provenance and the process. Well, you'll appreciate this, Susan. There's already a process for doing or meeting many of those requirements that you specified. It's called enterprise architecture. Now, if you follow that, you will get most of what you need right there. Now, the issue about interoperability, there's two points there. The secret, well, you're never going to get over that. But for the federal government, that isn't bound by those constraints, Susan, I would suspect the FEA should address that in a very coherent fashion, uh, where then you can get interoperability. OMB says, well, if this is part of the enterprise architecture that you must have an ontology to some degree, blah, 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 whatever upper part you want to use or not use, then, you know, if you want to get your funding, you have to be, be able to be federated in some fashion with other ontologies. So the federal government has a, has a solution to that problem for the interoperability, for the whole building process, the enterprise architecture paradigm uh, provides a lot of help there. Tom? And, and Tom Gruber. In, um, two points on that. One is really it's fantastic we're on, onto this. Um, I just came back from a conference in, in Edinburgh um, about geosemantics ontologies. And at that conference, there was people talking. These, these folks have their act together for ontologies. They have a massive data integration problem. And... They, provenance is legal, a legal requirement for them. Um, so they have actually uh, gotten their heads around this. They, they, ontology is a technology to help them with the provenance problem. Okay? Not only does it map, like, so let's say there's some map data. The older ways of doing map data was it was just, they just draw some colors on a square, on a rectangle, and then that's the data set, basically. And then as it got computerized, they, the computer guys just inherited that old model. And, but it's really like 40 or 50 or 100 features deep. And the boundaries are not, they're just some polygons, and sometimes they're fuzzy polygons and all kinds of other interesting stuff. So the, one of the things that they do is they explicitly represent the social and political and legal context that design decisions come from. So this is a, and then there's actually some research where the guys reason about it. So, for instance, if you want to dispatch a query across a heterogeneous data set, then you can say, well, you know, this one makes these assumptions, that one makes those assumptions, so the, the current query, you know, needs those assumptions. 
and can therefore go over there. Now, that's, that's the state of the art, and that's the kind of stuff that we uh, can say to the world, say, this is, on, this is why ontology, is, you have to have it, why it's really important, and not just yet another database schema. And, uh, and in the interoperability among them, there's no other way they could do it. Because you cannot just, there's just apples and oranges. You have to have a translation that has reasoning in it to get from one data set to the next. Okay, uh, Denise, and then. And um, thank you for raising that question. I mean, one of the hats I wear at the World Bank is I'm responsible for developing what's called a business architecture. Um, so ontologies are critical. The reason I have to develop a business architecture for the World Bank is essentially, oh, we're not being recorded, are we? Oops. Sorry, sorry, for that unknown institution that I didn't mention, um, is because we have to deal with something called Sarbanes-Oxley, okay? And we have to um, look at disclosure. We have to prevent things that shouldn't be disclosed from being disclosed. But at the same time, I have to have a business architecture that captures all the records that we're legally required to capture. And I can't do that. Without, an ontology, without many ontologies at this point. I'm probably working with about 20 to 25 ontologies to do that, hopefully in the enterprise architecture context. Beverly Jamison, American Psychological Association, and uh, wanted to get back to the issue of uh, how to make things interoperable in a world where shareable and non-shareable information need to coexist. Um, the American Psychological Association, we have some overlap with National Library of Medicine in dealing with the publishing world. And uh, in that, we have rights management, you know, not in quite the same context that you do, but there's a lot of work going on over how do you get the maximum connectivity and interoperability um, amidst a world where uh, some of your information may not be able to surface or only a portion of it can, um, et cetera. Yeah, Peter Brown again. Um, just two additional comments from the discussion. The, the question about these two sets of dimensions, also I like that. I, I'm not sure I, I share Denise's reservation, but I mean, she might actually agree with me on this in the sense that whether you think it's an internal, one of the internal dimensions or not, is not really, the, is not really a problem. I mean, you may think of yourself as a business user, and in fact what you're actually doing is dividing your enterprise ontology. So I think that that's down to a point of view, but I think it's very useful, this idea of making that distinction when we're doing the reflections. The same thing about the metrics thing is a bit more problematic. I mean, you mentioned the World Bank, if the World Bank can, can measure knowledge economies, well, it's because it's the World Bank and you've got some authority to do it and you can, you can kick back sides and withdraw funding if you, people don't share your points of view. I mean, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is you've got a very clear set of metrics which you own in terms of making those decisions, whether it's your stakeholders that are helping you share that. I'm not saying, I'm not saying the World Bank Secretariat imposes it, but you are making a judgment. And when you, when you, when the point about even saying is it less than or more than, someone's going to make a judgment call somewhere. And the problem we've got is we are a folksonomy of, of ontologists, and uh, there is no centre, there is no authority. So I think we have to address that problem before we can make any judgment call about, uh, about less or more. But it's, it's a problem we have to address. I have to respond to this because there are some inaccuracies there that I, do, no, no, that I just don't want on the record. Okay. Um, the World Bank arrives at these things through consensus. If you are reading the newspaper for the last two weeks, you understand our governance processes are very fluid and very, um, very much like a folksonomy, and we are very much a democratically governed 
institution. Yeah. Okay. So um, uh, the, the, how we came to identifying the factors, though, that define the dimensions of a knowledge economy was a very democratic process, extreme consultation, et cetera, through all the experts in the, that domain, just as we have experts in the ontology domain here. I don't see any difference in the process at all. Except a different community may have a different set of metrics which are not yours. That's all I'm saying. I, I agree. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not questioning the, the authority of the lack of democracy there. It's just it's a, it is a point of view. That's okay. Yeah. That's, we're going to have a point of view too. And I think the biggest challenge for us is to, one, identify the factors and then try to quantify them. I mean, that's an iterative process. I don't see that as something that's going to happen this afternoon or tomorrow morning, I think that's going to be where we may start to think about that process if we decide to go in that direction. Okay, over here. Jack Teller from NCI. Um, I would just like to add, because I see now that someone is keeping track, uh, another attribute to our dimensions in order for, <laughs> in order for them to be fully ripe, they should at least have uh, a quality called invariance, uh, and I don't know how to express that in terms of the many different um, manifestations of our, uh, ontologies, but I'll leave it to say that if, for example, I was measuring granularity in an ontology in one language and tried to look at it after it had been transformed into another language, I should come up with the same uh, value for that measurement. Thank you. Any, we have a couple more minutes. Um, I'm not sure who's keeping The, um, from Michigan State. I just want to echo Frank's point about the, um, the connection. Obviously, uh, we're on the same page on this, of connecting to the user communities of um, whether they be standards groups or the refereed literature in the field or something else like that. I think as ontologists, we're sort of, um, in some cases, very want to go off and start describing a field from our own personal experiences in reading them instead of consulting um, the experts for exact definitions of what the concepts are. So um, Frank brought that up. I don't see it, I don't see it um, evidenced in the discussion bullets at the front, so I wanted to make sure that if, if, if it was a, uh, a minimum of two people bringing it up, um, that, it, that it makes it onto the bullet page. So. <laughs> Frank? And there's a corollary to this, which is that, how should I say this? The, the communities of practice that are defining accounting standards and, and uh, legislation and federal regulatory stuff, um, how do I say this? They vary as to their philosophical sophistication, but so far as I know, there is no requirement, for example, for congressmen to have a degree in philosophy in order to pass legislation. And the, res and the result of that plus political conflict means that you get often not entirely consistent, um, quote, ontologies. Um, and, um, I mean, there are famous examples by which SUVs get turned from automobiles into trucks for to 
deal with tariff issues and things like this. Um, and I think that we are going to need to confront this, I think, probably with a context mechanism. And ultimately, um, we may have to come face-to-face -face with, with the fact that some of these ontologies are going to be inconsistent, and I don't, I don't think the technology is well-developed for dealing with that. And it's certainly not something that we necessarily want to enshrine. But um, I think that uh, we have this giant apparatus of regulatory procedures and, and courts and other sorts of things for trying to resolve definitional issues um, on many of these issues. And I think the notion that we can, that there's some silver bullet that we can do this off in a corner with, you know, 50 people in a room with CS degrees or philosophy degrees uh, is somewhat utopian. So I, I think in addition to provenance, in addition to, to working with these communities, I think we're going to need contextualization mechanisms that let us deal with some of these inconsistencies. And I think that if we go down this route and we, and we manage to convince these communities that we are engaged not in redefining what they're doing but in formalizing what they're doing, I think that it will be a much easier uh, sell, and then we may be able to come along and sort of say, well, it would be nice if you could clean up some of these things, uh, and they may or may not be amenable to it. But just consider the debate going on in this country as to what a person is um, uh, over abortion legislation. Um, that's not something that we're going to decide in this room. Um, anyway. So we're at the end of our time, and uh, before we all enroll in law school, let's have <laughs> let's have lunch. And uh, then, what time do we get back? Uh, one o'clock. One o'clock in the same room. Yes. And and uh, we, if we have computer equipment, uh, we can keep it safe here. No, take it with Okay, so we'll reconvene at 1.30 here in this present room. Uh, folks on the phone, 1.30. Thank you. Thanks, thanks, everybody. Okay, no problem.